attitudes are beginning to change. A stigma surrounding dyslexia. Modeled messages were received the by the brain. Dyslexia. It will not hold you back. Dyslexic. It's kind of your super. Anything is dyslexia. Dyslexia. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Ariffian. My name is Charlotte Edmonds. And you're listening to Move Beyond Words. In this podcast, we're going to amplify the voices of neurodiverse people and unravel living with the complex and multi-layered label of dyslexia. In this episode, we're speaking with the wonderful women behind the books, The Illustrated Guide to Dyslexia and Its Amazing People, and the bigger picture book of Amazing Dyslexics and the Jobs They Do. Together, Kate and Kathy have created such beautiful and positive books about the challenges and strengths of dyslexia and the people who live with the label. Kate and Kathy both have children with dyslexia, so I really want to speak with them about the challenges they and their children have faced growing up with dyslexia. One topic that I'm also interested in touching on is the study that covers the 47 different types of dyslexia. I've heard them speak on this before, so I really hope we can get an opportunity to delve a little deeper into this. Sit back, relax, get comfortable and enjoy our chat with Kate Power and Kathy Evancheck. Thanks so much for coming. It's so nice to meet you. I think we briefly met at an event um, at the VNA. Um, we did, yes. And yeah, but we've not had a proper chat, so I'm really excited to kind of dive in and learn more about you and your children and your books and your work and yeah, oh. so much to get through. So really, really excited and thank you so much for joining us. Well, ladies, we we met at the Displur film screening quite a few years ago now. And I think I was speaking to the director of uh, Father and Son, a dyslexic road trip, Richard Mesa. And he was telling me all about the amazing book that you were planning to write, which is obviously now right next to me here. And I remember meeting you and you had this infectious energy, tons of passion And you created so much excitement for me around dyslexia because at that time I wouldn't really speak out about my dyslexia. And I remember that event was quite overwhelming because I was like, wow, I'm amongst all these amazing people with dyslexia and we're all chatting about it. And obviously now that's completely changed. I'm speaking about dyslexia all the time and I love that. You know, I just kind of wanted to say that you've been so generous in supporting people with dyslexia and I'm so inspired to see the work that you're doing in breaking down the negative connotations surrounding dyslexia and also helping people understand what dyslexia really is yeah because it's it's such a a big scary word isn't it Mm. um and so I think we you know we knew having worked in the creative industries how many fantastic amazing dyslexics that there were and, and it only became a problem for us again when our kids started to sort of struggle and they're watch their self-esteem kind of plummet. So we were meeting all these amazing dyslexics and all, you know, could see that all their successes and their and their skills. And so we were really excited by it and excited that, that, that you know, that's the future um, for our children. Yeah. But going back to that first book, um, The Illustrated Guide to Dyslexia and Its Amazing People, when we talk about dyslexia, you find out that a lot of people just associate dyslexia with unable to read or problems with spelling. Um, But actually, as we know, it covers a plethora of things of 
that, you know, struggle with time and organization and lots of things. And I think our main um, objection, objective when we designed the first book was to really break down all the complicated information that you find in these really big, heavy yeah, books. text heavy. And our, our challenge was to understand what dyslexia was and break it down into one or two sentences and um, for it to communicate to children of, you know, six, seven, eight years old that, you know, probably doesn't, they don't understand what, what's happening to them and why they're not thinking like the other children in their class. So, yeah. And also, so the parents would understand, you know, they weren't being, the kids weren't being naughty or they, it wasn't that they weren't concentrating. And actually when you have these big tomes of these, these sort of quite dry, informative dyslexia books, when we were reading them, we were just like, oh my God, that's me, that's me. You know, that's, you know, I yeah. that. And it was just like, oh, actually, it's not so bad. It's not, it's, you know, when you're, you know, you have this big sort of formal assessment and you're just like, oh no, what does it mean for my kid? Will they never be able to get a job, you know? And then actually, you're just reading about half the people you know, you know, and there is such a scale to dyslexia. You know, people can have it very severely. Yeah. They can have it mildly. There's 47 different things you can um, have. And actually, you could have two of them. You could have 47 of them. You could, you know, there's, wow. it's so wide ranging. That, I mean, that's incredible. We'd love to hear more about um, your experiences with dyslexia and and your children and more about the book. But if I just start by taking us back to, Kathy, you're a graphic designer and Kate, you're working at a contemporary art gallery? That's right, yes. I, um, I, uh, I did metalwork and silversmithing actually at art school um, and then sort of, sort of realised actually that I preferred the whole promotion side of it or I wasn't brilliant. I wasn't the best at, at doing it, so, but I love being surrounded in that world. Yeah, I, I worked at the Crafts Council, then I um, had my own sort of shop on Exit Market selling work from different designer makers and then had kids and then worked in an art gallery and, um, and at the same time we've done these two books. Yeah. Amazing. Just casually. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Not much then. So <laughs> guys, t tell us how you came about. How did you meet and how did you end up working together? Um, well, we... Um, we bonded over a bag, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> in, a, in a playground. In a playground. We were, um, we both had young kids at the time, very young kids. And I'd only just moved to Beaconsfield from London. And we was doing, I was doing a recce of the local area and there was a playground. And I went there with my two, three-year-old daughter. And lo and behold, there was this stylish woman that had this um bubble bag that were you were only able to um acquire them in sort of designer shops and um I had the same bag Kate had one in red and I had one in brown and uh it, we saw our bags and it was almost like oh oh you must be a creative you must be in the design industry and uh that's when the conversation unfolded and we found out that we had um many um subjects and uh um things that we we both loved design creativity cooking eating drinking yeah. <laughs> and then luckily our husbands also got on yeah. and and then i think we found out about the dyslexia and so know, yeah we just a little bit yeah, a little bit further on in our friendship yeah. relationship type thing 
and you know it's it's kind of harder outside London as well because you know London's a hub oh, yeah. of diversity and creativity and great minds you know you've got that hub but I think as soon as you kind of move out there it it kind of gets harder to find like-minded people yeah <clears throat> yeah it, it was it was just lovely we just yeah got on like a house on fire she's like my sister <laughs> oh. <laughs> So you, you both mentioned, you know, you have children and um, I wondered if if it was their experience that encouraged you to write the books or was it your own personal experiences? Oh, it was, it was definitely their experience because um, we, we both sort of supported each other, you know, just sort of, you know, chat, over coffee, just chatting about how things are for them and, you know, when they had a bad report or um, just, just their struggles and... Um, you know, thinking back to my daughter, you know, sort of five years old, six years old, um, all, you know, all of her friends were kind of ramping through the sort of Biff and Chip books and and Molly would look at, you know, a sort of a couple of sentences and the word the, which, you know, is very frequent. And she just, from reading it the first time to then, she just couldn't recognise it. And yet if you asked her to draw um, a picture, she could do it with such amazing detail, you know, sort of down to the buttons or, you know, and bows that her friend was wearing. And um, so I just, just, it just something wasn't right. Mm. And so um, I, luckily my husband's auntie was a dyslexia specialist. So, and, and because there's lots of dyslexia in the family, we obviously weren't surprised. And so we were kind of, um, she guided us through, sort of through the whole process. And I don't know about you, Kathy. Um, well, we found out Finn was dyslexic quite early on. I mean, I'm dyslexic, delightfully dyslexic, as Pip Jamerson would say of the dots. Um, and my husband's dyslexic. So it really came as no surprise that Finn and my son, Sonny, is dyslexic. So, yeah, it was just that continual... Um, reading the same book with Finn when she was about six or seven and she just couldn't grasp the word the or a and then we thought this it's something's wrong here and uh, you know it was that incessant going back and forth to schools and having meetings with teachers and then starting that whole slog of getting Finn statemented which is a very lonely place I can say it took a very long time and um, she finally got it. But pre that, when we, I was talking to Kate about it, we decided to do something positive because not only are your kids struggling academically at school, it's a thing that their confidence level Yeah, that was the worst goes, thing. You know, yeah. To see your bright child who's effervescent and, and lovely and has fantastic, you know, warmth and charisma, slowly you know, um, diminishing because, you know, they feel like they're not achieving in their classroom. They're not like others. They're not, they're not putting their hands up to answer questions because um, their minds think differently. It takes longer to process. So I think Kate said, let's, let's do something about it because we could see the positives of dyslexia, you know. Mm. They come up with great ideas or they, they're wonderful storytellers, you yeah. know. And we wanted to design a book or to really shout about the positives and to really explain to kids, you know, what, what could possibly be happening in their, in their minds. Yeah.
it's so lovely and and I'm so glad you did because you know that positivity has spread so far and um and has been so necessary for people with dyslexia to see these positives and you know for, for parents as well I imagine the struggle I imagine you know my mum has talked to me about the struggle of of what it was like for her to not know at all what dyslexia was um and we think it runs in our family as well but you know no one has been diagnosed so I was the first person to get that kind of stamp and and so there was a weight with that and so I really wonder what your honest first feelings were when you know, you did get that diagnosis. You said that it runs in both of your families. But how did you feel, honestly, when you when you first heard that your child had dyslexia? Oh, just that it's going to be a struggle. I mean, I think we were lucky in that um, it's both our firstborns who had, uh, were girls and they were worked really, really hard. I'm, I'm sure um, some boys work really, really hard, but our experience is um, that it's probably... Um, just the, the characters of our boys have been a bit more easygoing, yeah. although they try too. But I think um, that was easier. I think it's when kids give up. And I think that's, I don't know whether that's the way we've kind of handled it or, but, you know, it is harder. You, they do need support, um, yeah. you know, and they do need a, a, a parent to kind of rattle the cage at the school I mean and again we were really lucky with the school the primary school they were at had some really fantastic teachers and a really fantastic um sort of special uh, or specific yeah. educational <laughs> needs person who was just a really kind nurturing person and they had a, a very much a safe space to go um but equally as well um you know making sure the teachers understand, because I think a lot of teachers don't understand dyslexia. My sister was a primary school, or is a primary school teacher, and when she did her training, I think they had an afternoon on dyslexia, you know, which is, doesn't give them very much information, really, on how to support children. Well, that makes me wonder, Cathy, you know, you said that you know that you have dyslexia and, and, I wonder, have you seen a difference in the education system? Um, well, both my children have left school now, and Finn, Finn is um, she's she's at um, art college, and and has just got into St Martin's, which just, is fantastic. Wow. It's yeah. to do women's wear at St Martin's, which goes oh to show. I think she left school with, um, well, she left school without passing her maths and English. <gasps> Neither did I. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we know now, because legislation has changed, you can't get on to a university course and no, you have those two, which is ridiculous because her portfolio is stunning. She is able to articulate her work, especially when she's talking about her own work. She's passionate about it, so she can explain it quite well. but. You know, but she couldn't get to the places she wanted to get to at the time. You know, it took her a little bit of a journey. And I think that's what dyslexia gives you. It, you, you don't get to where you want to go fast. Sometimes you have to take a few detours. But I think that detour on that journey can only help you in the end, maybe. So um, it's part of your story, isn't it's it? It's part of your story. But going back to... Um, you know, 
at school and academia, I sometimes think we have to remember that it's not about getting GCSE grades and passing. I think it's about who you are as a person, if you're positive, if you're trying your hardest, if you're charming, if you're a happy child. You know, if, you know, if you've got the right values and, and you've got the right attitude, you want that person in the workplace, not the fact that you've passed your 11, 12 GCSEs and O-levels. You, you, you just have to be a nice person that people want to have around. I think that's really important. It's amazing to hear about the support that you gave your children and how open you are to dyslexia and, and changing methods and, and being a support system for them. I, I don't think they think they are, though. I think they, they yeah. sort of take... My, always, my kids always take the mickey out of them because I always... Um, we listen to sort of de- Desert Island Discs a lot. And um, was it Kirsty? Oh, I think she's married to a dyslexic. And so she... Um, always used to ask people about their dyslexia and that so often when there'd been someone who was you know has done an extraordinary things they're dyslexic and you know and I would always say to my kids I bet they're dyslexic and they're sort of you know (laughs) now when I hear someone who's done something extraordinary you, you know you bet your bottom dollar that they're dyslexic and they generally are. So did you guys have a breakthrough moment when you both realized you wanted to write a book? I think I think as well, like as our kids were kind of um, were getting older, we were having sort of two separate conversations. It was um, like how you know what can we do to make some money um, from the kitchen table, and what can we do that's creative? What could, you know, what's the gap in the market? And um, you know, having this pile of brick-like heavy books about dyslexia, we were just like, oh, why don't we? Um, why don't we do a, a you know a visual guide you know that that you could then you know read with your kid but let's make it the first thing was that make it beautiful make it really well designed mm-hmm. let's make it amusing because actually a lot of this stuff you know does make you smile you know exactly. um, I think my son famously um, called calves knee cheeks you know there's some really oh you, know, you know he's sort of like pointing it's like you know what saying what what do you call that you know that thing your, your knee cheeks it was just it's <laughs> a really lovely yeah, you know yeah i think we started off you know um recognizing that gap in the market for a, a beautifully designed book that you can navigate through quite quickly and easily and understandably i think we started off with a we got a big a1 piece of um, cartridge paper and did a visual mind map right at the beginning saying what do we want this book to be and in the middle we had a beautiful book and then graphed it out saying colors beautiful typography you know great layout clean layout fresh um communication was key and and also the fact that um, it was a bit interactive in that because there are sort of 47 different things that that kind of you can have with dyslexia we want you know but you might only have five of them we wanted you to be able to tick the ones that you have because if you understand what your weaknesses are then you can work out what the what coping strategies you need to get by and I think that's the point you know just even though you're dyslexic doesn't mean you should be pushed towards a creative career um, creativity is a perfect vehicle to find new ways of working to then channel that into something that could be more academic. I remember you saying at the um, DISCLA, um event that we went to a few years ago, Charlotte. Yeah. 
and there was that forum where we were all sat around. There were a lot of dyslexics yeah. there. It's a dyslexics nightmare because somebody hosting said, oh, put your hand up. And in order to dyslexics, yeah. like, no one's putting their hand up. Because, know. You know, we're scarred from you know, school, saying the yeah. wrong thing back at school. And I remember you saying that you are able to communicate through your dance movements. So where you don't need to use words, you know, you, you communicate through the movement of dance. And, you know, Kate and I were just looking at each other thinking, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's uh, and, I, and then when we came to see your show um, at the um, Royal Opera House, God, we were blown away. That was just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Thank you, firstly, for saying that. It's really kind. I know that Liz also feels the same way, in which that lang- like dance language is the way that we communicate. And there's something, there's that emotional attachment to a movement or that muscle memory that can help you remember things. I think going to a school where you had a 50-50 kind of split of learning how to dance and then also having your academic studies you found um, a way to kind of fuse the two together and see how one can complement the other so it could be learning facts for a history test or a science test and you put a movement or just like you would associate a color with um, a certain emotion but that movement would then kind of stimulate that thought process and then when you're in that intense environment of um, an exam you could just sort of put your fingers together or think of, you know, think of ways to kind of initiate that thought. But it's quite, I mean, that's a whole, it's time consuming doing yeah. that as well. You have to kind of create a choreography just to learn some facts for your history test that's kind of taken up your whole term, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> but you found your coping strategy. Yeah, and I, I think still finding coping strategies, but it definitely, I was very fortunate to find that so early on in, in yeah. school. Um, and yeah, be in that creative environment, but I can definitely. But that's what's so key, isn't it? To get, it's getting help early so that you don't fall too far behind. I think there's a, there's a positive to finding out early, like you said, um, so you know how to kind of, um, navigate yourself through education, but there's also, I think finding out really early because of the language that's used around it, it's known as a disability. And, um, you know, I think when you're younger your your peers don't have a huge understanding of what dyslexia is and sometimes that feels really heavy and you create that kind of block you think oh I'm I'm you know I'm always going to get these low grades and I'm never going to quite achieve what I really want to achieve and so it was definitely Liz and I always speak about this certain resilience and trying to jump through all the hoops this brings us to um, a, a nice moment as we're talking about creativity, um, which is show and tell. In the show, we like to ask our guests to bring on and showcase an item that represents, aids or embraces their dyslexia. Is there an item that you can share with us that you both believe helps or represents dyslexia in your life? Oh, what is it's that? pencil. Um, but oh. it's a pencil, this one hasn't, but it's often a pencil, more than often, maybe, probably always, it's a pencil with a rubber on the top because I 
always make mistakes when I'm writing things down and I can't bear to cross it out because it's just it's untidy and everything I do has to be tidy so a pencil where I write everything down my thoughts notes from a meeting um, and then if I make a mistake I can rub it out and start it all over again but I'm never without a pencil I never write I can't write in biro I just can't do it I can only write in pencil and uh, this is my dyslexia object I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. And there's a bird in the background there. Yeah. Green with you. <laughs> Chirp, chirping you on there. That's so nice. And mine is is the calculator on my iPhone. So I work uh, in a contemporary art gallery and do lots of framing. And so I have to um, work in millimeters and use numbers. So, um, and I always have to um, do it about five times because I because numbers is my problem and I do not trust myself writing down numbers so I have to do it about five times and my boss will say to me I think probably after three times is is enough but actually I I don't I I, I, I have to do it five times so then I can really and really really concentrate Jumping to um, a more recent event, you've created your second book, which I absolutely love. And uh, it's incredibly encouraging to read about a range of people's experiences and perceptions of dyslexia. What difference, what's the difference between the first book, The Illustrated Guide to Dyslexia and Its Amazing People, and the bigger picture book of amazing dyslexics and the jobs that they do? It was very important for us to have like a wide diversity of careers um, from um, a stunt coordinator performer in Hollywood films to a high to court judge, a high court judge who uh, who actually gave us a tour around the old Bailey. And then we went to see court one where the craze were sentenced for murder. I mean, that was all very exciting. We met some incredible people that shared some amazing stories some really emotional I think when you start talking about dyslexia it opens you know it just opens a few of those things that you've boxed away because some of those things are quite painful but you know when we got to talking about it it was it was amazing people just opened up and they wanted to tell the truth and be honest and and um and that's and and it's made the books really rich yeah. you know it's got some it's just got some really good honest stories in yeah. there and you know they're all true yeah and that will inspire teenagers that maybe are struggling at school with i don't know with the 10 subjects that that they do at school but when you're out there there's a thousand jobs um titles that you can do and it, you know and i think this book is evidence that you can do whatever you want to do Through reading the book recently, there's so many hilarious and relatable quotes. I particularly loved Eddie Izzard's quote, which is, um, I spy is such a brilliant game for me as a dyslexic. If you spell the word ceiling with an S, the game goes on for hours. And I just, I, I love that. I can so relate to that because... Um, I, I do that when I play Scrabble. I always think I've won. And then someone's just like, hey, can I just check? I think there's about four or five spelling mistakes here. Yeah, well, play phonetic spelling. That's much more Scrabble. Scrabble, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And out of interest, is your audience predominantly dyslexic? I imagine it is. And, and does that 
change the way that you approach the writing side of things? We did have a bit of fun with the typography where Kate just mentioned where if someone said something very funny or poignant, we extracted it from the main text and made it the, their favourite colour. If you remember in the book, for the numbering system, we didn't use page numbers. We, on our questionnaire, when we initially went to interview all the amazing dyslexics, one of the, the last question was, what's your favourite colour? And we've kind of designed the book. So the favorite color is your number and that is your page number. With, so a, with a swatch of the color. Swatch. So we use the typography. We use the, you know, the big statement bit in bold, colorful typography. So we had fun with the language and in, in that respect. But mainly we did, we did really try and keep the tone of the person's yeah. voice. And, and we, you know, we were wanting it to be succinct and kind of to the point and the, the the font size changes so you've got the bigger and then smaller and different different colors again just to sort of break it down so it is easier to read in a few words what advice would you give to parents who have children with dyslexia just love them, encourage them, f try and find something they're good at so that it can bolster their self-esteem. Get help early. If you can afford a tutor, get a tutor. That, that, that makes a huge difference. Um, personally, I found it not very um, easy to actually do work with my children. They don't like it. Um, and I think I can muddle the water. Um, <laughs> I'm not a natural teacher. I get them to listen to Radio 4. When I was a kid, we had Radio Oxford playing in the background 24-7. It did my head in. But I, I think if you listen to the way people talk and communicate, um, I think the words will sink in. Um, and as Kate said, you know, just, just keep them happy. You want a happy kid at the end of the day. A happy kid will learn. Whereas a, an unhappy kid that you're trying to get through the system academically it will, will, will it just won't work yeah. it, they will not take it in so love them care for them encourage yeah just encourage and them. i guess and as well just make sure that they understand what their weaknesses are and what their strengths are but if you know what your weaknesses are then you can yeah. get your tool books of tricks to help yourself and 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 just know that there are there are lots of positives alongside the challenges. So on that note, can I ask what dyslexia means to you? If I was to really pare it down, I'd say dyslexia for me was a grey cloud over my head during school years, but the sun came out when I went to university and I was able to do art 24-7. It was something that I really loved doing. And actually, the, the sun is still shining now because I do what I love. And I think that is key for any dyslexic child or teenager is find what you're good at. Find what you love and pursue it. And I think I can't say it better than Cathy's just said, but in the book, the last page was love what you do and work together. Yeah. So it's collaboration. You know, you, um, no one's good at everything. And if you can find people, uh, you know, and that was, that came out a lot in, in the book um, with the interviews is that 
people had good people around them. So to plug their gaps um, and they plugged a gap for somebody else. So um, collaboration. We completely agree with that. Collaboration is so key and, you know, you can't do everything and finding those people around you who, you know, when you know what your weaknesses are, that they can, they can support there and you can support in different areas and that's okay. And be honest as well. Like when you're suddenly, when you be honest and say, I can't do this, you're not having to hide. It's not a Mm. secret that you're having to hide and it's actually for your mental health is much better to say I can't do this well ladies I think that that um is a beautiful way to to finish and we just want to say a a massive thank you and we wish we could give you a big hug oh I know we will one day yeah I know yeah definitely see you soon bye such a great conversation I'm so glad we were able to chat with them they're just incredible women and they've got this insane energy and the perseverance of a mother is just something no one should mess with their children are so lucky to have them aren't they it really makes me think about the children who don't have parent support when it comes to dyslexia and education though I know way too many people who've just not been able to continue with their careers because of the lack of guidance and support. This episode is really making me count my blessings for having people in my corner that offer me the foundation to be able to do the creative things that I do that embrace my dyslexia. You know, we're really lucky. There's always just so much to digest after these episodes and This one, especially as we got to hear such a well-rounded experience from the personal to the educational to career. What did you think anyway, Tally? So when Kate and Cathy are speaking about the 47 different kinds of dyslexia, they're really referencing the symptoms of dyslexia, the multi-layers that we chat about and are investigating further into. So it's really fascinating to start to explore those layers because I think it's really important to highlight that not everyone is going to be the same although when we're having these conversations and when I hear about someone else's dyslexia there are a lot of crossovers it must be that there are prominent symptoms that many people do have but also the kind of the nuances within dyslexia that are more tailored to the individual And I think that's where the beauty lies within dyslexia because that's what someone with dyslexia can bring. It is, I suppose that's why people highlight it or describe it as a superpower, essentially. As cheesy as that may be, it adds value to what you can bring. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on this episode please send them to info at movebeyondwords.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. And please share how you move beyond words through our hashtag movebeyondwords. And until next time, we've been Elizabeth and Charlotte. This has been Move Beyond Words. And to support the show, please remember to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your favourite podcasts.
Art and Design by Alex Colhan, Digital and Social Media by Gabby Whitehill, MBW's Project Manager Hannah Gibbs, Podcast Producer Niall Kalini-Taylor, and Original Music Composed by Tom Parker. This series is funded by Arts Council England.